2: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 13th. I'm Desiree Frazier in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor issues a series of executive orders and a declaration of emergency. Then the Mississippi Sound is still recovering from last spring's opening of the Bonnie Carey Spillway. Now the Spillway is open for the third year in a row. We talked to Secretary of State Michael Watson. Plus, how a lack of resources creates challenges for online college classes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves has issued a declaration of emergency following the severe weather that passed through the state on Easter Sunday. The declaration enables all state agencies to wrap up coordination of their emergency responses with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency and enables them to fast-track coordination at all levels of government in the state. Greg Michelle is the executive director of MEMA. He tells MPB's Alexandra Watts the early damage assessments are extensive.
3: We do know that we had um, extensive structural damage in Walthall County, uh, the same for uh, Lawrence County, Jefferson Davis County, um, Covington County, and then going into Jones County. We also had damage in Clark County, um, uh, Smith County, Jasper County, Yazoo County. And again, uh, the, the damages vary. Um, a lot of, as always is the case, uh, we had a number of mobile homes that were destroyed. I know of two homes that were destroyed in Walthall County. We've had a number of ve- vehicles that were damaged. Um, the city of law had um, a good bit of damage in and around it uh, both business and residential and uh, i don't have specifics on uh, clark and jasper county but we can assume given the severity of these storms that the damage will be rather extensive there as well as always is the case we had a number of trees that were down uh we'd seen pictures from some of the storm chasers with some uh, trees that were damaged uh, excuse me that were down over highway 59 we know for sure and uh, We know that there was a lot of tree cutting that was going on when we talked earlier today in Walthall County, trying to get access to some residential areas where people were still trapped in homes. So uh, we do know that we're going to have multiple injuries spread out across these counties. We certainly hope that we won't have any more fatalities, but we don't know that right now.
4: Um, can you kind of speak about how COVID-19 might have impacted um, people getting prepared or even sheltering, um, how that kind of impacts the weather that's happening right now?
3: Yeah, so, uh, you know, we've been talking about uh, at the governor's uh, COVID press conferences this week, we've been talking also about this weather. We, uh, we knew this weather was coming in. We've been tracking it for about seven to 10 days um, and, and trying to prepare as best we can. Some of the things that we did is uh, we had meeting with all the county EMAs uh, later this week, and on Friday, we actually pushed some additional supplies out to them to help them uh, have some stuff available like hand sanitizer, gloves, and masks should they have to open up shelters. Uh, we do hope that the shelter-in-place order, um, as well as um, we do know that religious organizations in general were very supportive of the shelter-in-place and not... Uh, congregating like they normally would on Easter Sunday, as sad as that was. uh, But we certainly uh, hope that that led to fewer people being out and about when these storms uh, hit. So the effects beyond that, of course, how you would occupy a shelter, um, social distancing certainly had to continue to be uh, enforced as best you can in in a sheltering situation. But life safety, as always, must be paramount to that. So shelters were open uh, even in the face of the COVID uh, danger. I would make a plea to everyone to please stay out of these areas while the first emergency responders continue to work through the night and through the coming days next week and allow these individuals to work and let's respect uh, the individuals been been affected by these storms. And uh, as always the case, uh, you know, we do still have a shelter in place order uh, in place. We need to make sure that people are uh, adhering to that uh, as we, you know, I distract, we can't be distracted for our COVID response uh, either, even in misty storms.
2: Greg Michelle is the executive director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. MEMA's initial initial report issues this morning confirms 11 weather-related deaths in six counties. An estimated 72,000 are without power, and at least 100 people are currently displaced. More information is available at www.msema.org. The governor has also issued a series of executive orders related to the state's COVID-19 response. He announced these new measures at a press conference on Friday.
5: We are suspending both political parties nominating conventions in Mississippi this year. We were asked to do so by both political parties. We are also suspending the requirement that businesses hold in-person shareholder meetings. Those are not necessary at this time. I also want to mention some additional measures that we are taking to prepare for the potential surge of COVID-19 patients in our health care system. We know that the experts are taking the lead here, so I've taken a few additional actions to help support them. At the request of the Mississippi Forestry Commission, we've issued a proclamation prohibiting any outdoor burning in the state of Mississippi. They told us that we've got some dry conditions and a recent increase in wildfires. That has diverted EMS professionals from the COVID-19 response. That burn ban is in effect now. I've also just put an executive order behind the Mississippi Department of Health guidelines on elective surgeries in order to prevent the unnecessary use of PPP and healthcare resources in these critical days ahead of us. Those guidelines by the Department of Health have been out there for a while. I think most providers have followed them, but there are always some who refuse until it is mandatory. For the next few weeks, as we hit the critical point when our healthcare system may be the most stressed, now is the time to give that the force of law. I've also signed an executive order which says that our healthcare workers and our facilities cannot be sued for genuinely trying to help a patient during this critical time, as all of these doctors and nurses work to adjust to unprecedented times and what might be an unprecedented surge, an unprecedented crisis for our system.
2: In total, the governor has issued six new executive orders this month, beginning with the shelter-in-place order on April 1st. Additionally, Governor Reeves rescheduled the special election for House C-87 vacated when Representative Billy Andrews resigned. That election is now scheduled for November 3rd. The co- coronavirus pandemic is having profound impacts on elections both nationally and locally. Secretary of State Michael Watson says his office is working with circuit clerks across the state to complete postponed elections and secure November's general election.
6: We actually haven't uh, finished our primaries. We we had to delay the Republican runoff in the 2nd Congressional District to June 23rd, and I could possibly you know, uh, see that going back even further. The key point is here. Uh, after seeing, you know, what, what's going on around the country and other states and how they've handled it, is assembling our crew, uh, our team that puts, you know, obviously Mississippi is a bottom-up state. So, I've actually uh, interacted with our circuit clerks and our elections commissioners. I talked to the governor's staff this morning. Uh, we've been working on a plan here for the last few weeks. Of what exactly does it look like for Mississippi? How do we make sure that our, our Citizens here and registered voters feel safe to participate and encouraged to participate in our election. So we are assembling our plan and and we'll have one put together. Hopefully this will be in our rearview mirror by then, but if it's not, we'll be ready to go.
1: And uh, are there any considerations? I know there are two seats that are up for special election in the House. Um, What is what's the status of those going forward?
6: That's right. 87 and 88. Those two districts, uh, 88 was actually set for April 21st, I believe. And we moved it back uh, to the June 23rd date as well. And then 87 had not been set yet. So we we put it off into August, August the 3rd. So both of those have been moved as well as uh, Humphreys County, the tax collector up there it was set to go forward here in April as well, but we've moved it back and uh, that's going to be postponed too. So we also had some cities, uh, I know Natchez and Grenada and uh, I believe a couple others that had special charters and they had elections this year and they were able to put on those as well. So we're taking all precautions. Absolutely. Uh, is needed during this time uh, to make sure that Mississippians, again, they feel safe and they want to vote. We want to make sure that that every Mississippian that's registered gets a chance to vote and, and, and do so feeling safe and, uh look, it, it's a piece of uh, the fabric of Mississippi to make sure that all the voices are heard. And so we want to make sure that that's taken care of.
1: Are the preliminary requirements for those elections, uh, are those pushed back, whether it's the filing, anything like that, or is it really just the actual election itself that uh, is getting postponed?
6: Right, the election itself that is postponed and then the other dates that, that work around the election obviously move back with the postponement. One of the key questions that we're, we're working on now is, uh, you know, some folks have to go out and gather signatures. Well, obviously, it's, it's pretty tough to get those signatures right now. People hopefully are practicing social distancing and, and staying away. So we we're talking to the governor's office on how exactly we need to handle that. I know other states have waived that requirement. Uh, I know Vermont is one. I talked to their secretary of state the other day and, and several other states have looked at that in different ways. You know, is it that you can collect those digitally? Uh, maybe that's a, that's an option. But we're working on that now to make sure that's clear as we move forward.
2: Coming up, the Mississippi Sound is still recovering from last spring's opening of the Bonny Carey Spillway. Now the spillway is open for the third year in a row. More with Secretary of State Michael Watson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Bonnie Carey Spillway, which lies on the western edge of St. Charles Parish in Louisiana, was built in part as a response to the great 1927 flood that decimated the lower Mississippi. The 5.7-mile chain of locks, traditionally opened at a frequency of once every 10 years, is now open for the third consecutive spring. As Secretary of State Michael Watson tells our Michael Gidry. It's causing geological and economic damage to the Mississippi Sound.
6: It's, a, it's an incredibly large impact on Mississippi's economy when you talk about the seafood industry, when you talk about tourism, and all that that happens along the coast. Uh, and obviously when the Badaquea is open, especially last year when it was uh, just, just again, a, a devastating amount uh, of water that flowed through, the Carry spillway and then impacted the, the coast. Honestly, I don't think we know uh, the long-term impacts yet. I know that's being studied. Uh, I do know it's devastating. Uh, obviously, you, you saw numbers coming out on our oysters and our shrimp. Uh, I know the oysters had a little over 90% fatality rate. So when, when you wipe out in a complete industry like that by opening the Bonacare, you start to scratch your head and say, look, well, there's got to be a better way. And so uh, one of the approaches that we took, obviously, is, is asking for a seat at the table. And uh, just not to get into deep to this yet, but I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. We, we weren't even given a heads up, uh, by the, the Corps that this was coming. Uh, I actually found out by an email from a, an individual who was interested from Louisiana. Uh, you know, I, I talked to, uh, Colonel Michelle over at, at MEMA. He had no idea. I talked to Senator Cindy Smith, She had no idea. So they're not reaching out and telling us uh, before they're making these decisions. Uh, and it's, again, a harmful impact on Mississippi and, and not just the coast, but the entire state feels it.
1: When you assumed office uh, in January, you inherited some of the action that uh, former Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman um, had had started in regards to this, including an injunction. Uh, what does that injunction do? Uh, is it still valid? And can it play a role going forward as they're looking at opening this boy again?
6: Yeah, absolutely valid. And he he filed that back in December, I think it was the 27th. Uh, And so just a a quick update to our listeners here on that. The the, the federal government actually filed a motion to dismiss, and we've got our response due to that within the next, I think, 20 days. Uh, So they have, um, you know, obviously they're they're playing the legal game, and I understand that, Uh, but Yes, the the suit was filed and what we're asking for obviously is the injunction there and as as most of your listeners probably know, the Morganza is just north of the Bonnie Carey spillway and so what we have requested is, look, at least open that up just a bit uh, to relieve some of that pressure and some of the water that's flowing through the Bonnie Carey. We don't think that's uh, too too high of a task, uh, too much of a task to ask for them to complete. It's a problem that's going to continue to happen in Mississippi. We continue to see this flooding. This is the first time in the 89-year history of the spillway that it's been open three years in a row. And so it's a devastating impact. Again, it opened this past Friday, uh, April 3rd, and it's up to 45 days open now, and roughly 47,000 cubic feet per second are flowing uh, at this moment.
1: What are you hearing from the Army Corps of Engineers and Louisiana officials about the Morganza spillway, and why it is not being utilized?
6: Nothing. Uh, and that's the troubling piece. They say, again, based on their plans that, that were drafted and, and put into place by Congress years and years ago, uh, that they're operating based on how they're told by Congress. And so uh, that, and you, you raise a great question there. I actually talked to the Secretary of State from Louisiana last week and was asking him about it. He said, look, Michael, I have no idea. What are you talking about? So they didn't even tell their, their folks either on Louisiana side So it's a lack of communication, uh, in my opinion. It's a lack of of action uh, that's needed quickly. And so uh, what you saw from from our lawsuit was, hey, look, we're going to ask the courts to step in and help us get some action, because obviously uh, the Corps of Engineers didn't move fast enough uh, to prevent this damage from Mississippi.
1: If you had your druthers, um, what would a solution going forward look like?
6: That's a great question and, and multifaceted approach, to be quite honest with you. And I know Congress has uh, appropriated funds for dredging along the, the southern piece of the Mississippi River. Uh, you may recall, um, I'm not sure if you heard or not. there was an interview the other day with Austin Golding from Golding Barge. And what he was talking about is, yeah, that's going to be helpful, the dredging in, in the southern piece of the river. But we've got to have dredging across the up the entire river because with these more flooding events, you're you're seeing more sediment come in. Uh, so you're seeing the riverbed raise, which obviously pushes water out of the, the riverbanks and over the edge and the flooding. So we've got a, a lawsuit with some 16 section land that's been flooded in Southwest Mississippi uh, against the core, as well as this one with the Bonacare spillway. So there's going to have to be a, a focused effort on dredging. Uh, there's going to have to be a focused effort on a different plan. How do you relieve some of this pressure from the Bonacare? We believe it's uh, through the Morganza. Uh, so, you know, Louisiana is going to have to have a seat at that table because that's going to have an impact on them and the Atchvallia. Uh Some of the things that we've heard from folks over there is they said, "Look, that, the Atchafalaya is already flooded, so if you open the Morganza, you'd make that even worse." So, it's an approach that the Corps is going to have to take—a a, a large uh, look, take a step back, a thirty-thousand-foot. We've got to have a different plan because what's working now is going to devastate, and it's not working for for purposes of Mississippians. Uh, so, we've got to we're going to go back to the drawing board and make a new plan.
1: Does the amount of flooding we're seeing in the Lower Mississippi that's that's causing all this? I mean, is is that a topic that the Corps is looking at? Uh, big picture, um, is it is it a climate issue? Is it um, is it environment? I mean, a greater environmental issue? Uh, have have we able to identify why the spillway is becoming the go to when it comes to relieving the, the the Lower Mississippi, the last three years?
6: You know, I hope they're looking at that. Obviously, again, the sediment is one of the big pieces that we're going to have to study, uh, and I hope that they're already studying. Uh, one of the other things we've, we've asked for in our lawsuit is another environmental impact study, and they'll tell you they've done several of them, but what's missing in those is an environmental impact study on the Gulf Coast and our, our coastal waters in Mississippi Sound. If you look at it, obviously about 41% of, uh, of the United States is drained down through the Mississippi River. So it's going to continue to see uh, a larger flow uh, as, as we move on. And again, with those larger flows and more sediment, it's, it's increasing uh, the riverbed, which forces the waters to go up and over the edges. So I think it's a dredging piece. I think it's an environmental impact study. Look, do we need to change some of the way we're, we're handling this? Uh, it, it's a, It's a multifaceted approach that they're going to have to take uh, to make sure the Mississippians are protected.
1: Secretary of State Michael Watson, thank you so much.
6: You got him, my friend. Have a good day.
2: Coming up, how a lack of resources creates challenges for online college classes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Universities and colleges in Mississippi have transitioned to online distance learning to continue educating students during the coronavirus pandemic. But for some, transitioning to online instruction hasn't been easy. After professors convert all their materials to online resources, some students still may not have access to it. Say Turnipseed, assistant professor at Mississippi Valley State University, tells MPB's Kobe Vance half of her students don't have Internet access.
0: But I think our biggest challenge um, here in the Delta is the fact that so many of our students are half, in fact, of my students have not been able to log on to the the Canvas environment, which is the virtual environment, uh, whether it's because they don't have a computer that's uh, capable of having internet on it, or they don't have internet access, or their telephones don't have the full capacity to be able, you know, to download and to stream, and are to be able to see all of what may be going on on that virtual environment and so it is to some extent really compromising their ability to fully appreciate what what uh, was being offered through that platform
4: and now the traditional avenues where those students might have actually gotten internet access are those closed now because of the virus outbreak
0: i think the um library our local library does still have um, has made available their internet to people who come to the parking lot you know it's open I think the same is true with many hotels and and parking lots and restaurants if you just pull up in their hotels or in their parking lot spaces you will be able to you know tap into their internet but again I think it's something pretty peculiar about The Delta or just any place where um, poverty is uh, prevalent. Uh, They may not have access to, you know, drive and sit comfortably in these parking lots or they may not have a personal computer. Um, So, yeah, the limitations are there. It's real.
2: Shade Turnipseed is an assistant professor at Mississippi Valley State. Andy Harper is an instructional assistant professor at the University of Mississippi. He says the challenges for professors is figuring out how to transition their classes to an online platform. He also believes a health compromise is essential when determining how to issue grades. You know, the,
4: the, the biggest challenge is everyone deciding individually as an instructor, what things can I get done online? What things can I not get on, done online? I and mean, then what kind of changes can I make? And for the most part, you know, everyone kind of approached it with, I think, a great spirit. And I, I think one of the takeaways from all of this has been, yes, we've had the transition very quickly. And, yes, some things are falling through the cracks, you know. But for the most part, um, I think that we're, we're going to be able to get through this semester and give the students what it is that they need. Uh, is there any other concerns about, like, as far as grading goes, like uh, changing the way y'all are grading assignments and then going into finals as well? So the bottom line is because you know this is this is an, this is a nationwide kind of institutional conversation. Do we tr- do we stick with traditional grades? And you know, on one hand, you know, you, you don't want to evaluate you, it's, it's unfair to evaluate students in the same way, given that we're teaching but pedagogically; it's so much different, right? But on the other hand. There are some students who need those grades if we're going to be very practical. If a student is trying to pull up a GPA or if they need some help in a certain area, you know, if they had a chance to make a 4 0 this semester and it would have helped them, you hate to take that away from them. You hate to take that opportunity away, just like you hate to punish somebody who's going through a difficult time as well. So the compromise, I think, was the right one. Students will have the power to decide at the end of the semester if they want to accept the grade that was given to them. Or if they're not happy, if it, if it is going to harm their GPA, then they can just take the pass, which gives them credit for the class they need to graduate, but doesn't impact their GPA one way or the other. Which I think is which I think is the right compromise.
2: Andy Harper is an instructional assistant professor at the University of Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio.